0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. This morning it's that final chapter in Exodus, chapter 40, that we're looking at. And this, this is the climax of the book. This is the big crescendo of the whole story. When you, when you think about Exodus, uh, it's easy to assume that the climax of the book is the crossing of the Red Sea. That's kind of the big dramatic, certainly in the movies, that's the, that's the crescendo. That's the big event when Israel is dramatically rescued from slavery. But in the whole trajectory of the book of Exodus, the whole thing points to chapter 40. It all moves towards this great moment at the end of the book that we're going to read when the glory of the Lord comes down and fills the tabernacle. Because you've got to remember that the theme of this book is God becoming present with his people. The increasing presence of God with Israel. And if you take that theme, then it all rises to a great big crescendo at the end of the book as God finally comes down and dwells. Uh, in power and in glory within the camp of Israel. That's what this final scene represents. So I'm going to read just the final few verses of the book of Exodus, the grand finale from verse 34 of chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So this, this final scene in the book of Exodus, it's been a long journey. But the final scene happens very fittingly on New Year's Day. This is the beginning of the second year of the Exodus journey. So when the Israelites came out of Egypt, when God first brought them out, one of the first things, we didn't touch on this, but one of the first things God did when he brought them out of slavery is he changed the calendar. He changed the Jewish calendar. He wanted to completely reorientate Israel out of the Egyptian way of thinking. Out of the culture of Egypt, the worldview of Egypt, the paradigm of Egypt, he wanted to so completely reconfigure their worldview that he started by changing their whole sense of time. And God said, the first month that I lead you out, the Exodus event itself, that's going to become the first month of the year. That's going to be the new year for you. So here we are now a year later. We've covered all that ground in our series during this year. And here we are now on the first day of the first month of the second year, of the Exodus journey. And the Israelites are camped there at Mount Sinai. They're celebrating the anniversary, the very first anniversary of coming out of slavery, the first anniversary of their liberation from being a slave people to being a free people under God. And as they're celebrating this, they're celebrating the good deeds of God and his salvation on their behalf. They're watching as Moses sets up the tabernacle. They're watching from their tents as Moses and probably a team of helpers put together this portable tent that they'd been working on over the past several months. Probably the Israelites had had little glimpses of this as the various tradespeople trades within Israel had put the bits and pieces of the tabernacle together. They'd made the furniture. They'd made the canvassing. They'd made the curtains. They'd made the altar. They might have seen these various things being crafted and created. But now on New Year's Day, this day of new beginnings, it all comes together. And the poles get fitted together together. The curtains get hung and the furniture gets arranged perfectly. There's a huge emphasis in this passage in chapter 40 on everything being done just as God commanded, precisely according to the specifications that God had given Moses on the mountain. Moses gets the whole tabernacle arranged, constructed, put together exactly as God wants. And then he steps back and he waits to see what's going to happen. And then you have this dramatic scene, this spectacle where the glory of the Lord comes down and fills the tabernacle. Moses has made a house for God and now God moves in. God moves into his new digs in the middle of the camp of Israel. And he's there now. And this glory of the Lord is so powerful, it's so severe. The cloud comes down and covers the tabernacle, the presence of God envelops the tabernacle. It's so intense that Moses can't go in. Usually he can. Usually Moses is the one guy who can always relate to God. He can go into God's presence anytime he wants to on Mount Sinai or in the tent of meeting, but here Moses can't go in. And as the video mentioned, that's probably because from now on, people can't go into the presence of God without sacrifice without some sort of sacrifice. And that sets up the theme for the next book of the Bible, Leviticus, which is all about the sacrificial procedures. So at this point, not even Moses can go in. All he can do is stand there with the rest of Israel and just watch and just look as God's presence comes down and fills the tabernacle. And now for the first time, God is a resident within this community. From this point in the journey, God's no longer going to lead Israel From above, he's not leading them from beyond, he's leading them now from within. He is there, he's not only their deliverer, but he's dwelling within and among the camp of Israel as its most important and central resident. God is now among them, fully present with his people, and that's the closure to the book of Exodus. Now, what I want to pick up on this morning, what I want to explore a little bit, is this idea of the glory. The glory of God that comes and fills the tabernacle. That's the key event. Twice in that chapter, you see that phrase, the glory of the Lord, the glory of Yahweh came and filled the tabernacle. That word glory is the Hebrew word kavod. And it literally means weightiness. It means heaviness. Could, could be used literally of an animal weighed down with a heavy, heavy burden. But most of the time it was used of a person. It was used of people who had a certain presence about them that had a, had a weightiness to it. Not, not literally a heavy person, but, but someone who, who by, their, by their persona or by their power or by their character, just by virtue of who they were, there was a weightiness to that person. Do you know what I mean? That kind of person. It's like, have you been in that situation where you're in a room and you're, you're in a meeting or you're in a gathering of people and someone comes into the room who has this gravitas? You know, maybe at work maybe socially, but someone comes into the room and the mood shifts. And suddenly people are very aware of the presence of this person, maybe because of their position or just who they are or they've just got some kind of aura about them, but they are a weighty person. And even if you're still talking to the person that you were just talking to, in your peripheral vision, you're kind of keeping tabs on that person and they make their way around the room and you know where they are at any given moment. And when they talk, everyone stops and listens because they carry this weight. They've got a certain significance about them. You could say they have this kavod. They have this sense of glory about them. That's how the word's used. But whatever glory human beings have, this is obviously eclipsed by the glory that God has. We may have sort of relative significance or importance relative to one another, but this is all completely outweighed by the glory of the Lord. God has Ultimate weightiness. His presence has ultimate, infinite significance. He is so weighty. The presence, the glory of God is so heavy. He has such gravitas about his being. There is no possible way you can look full on into the glory of God. You can't do it. No one in the Old Testament could do it. No one could ever. It's like looking into the sun. You can't do it. Or at least no one could look into the glory of the Lord and live to tell the tale. Couldn't be done. So always, always, always with the glory of God, there is always some kind of barrier or shield around the glory of God. Here it's the cloud. You see the cloud that comes and envelops the tabernacle. So the glory of the God fills the tabernacle, but it's still shrouded. There's still a sense of mystery. You can't look straight at the glory of God. You can just sort of see it somehow through the cloud. Moses, when he asked to see the glory of God, what did God say? Can't do it. The best God could offer was, Moses, I'll let you see my back as I pass by. Moses could not look straight into the the face of the glory of God. Couldn't be done. No one can see the glory of God and live. But God has put traces of his kavod all over the place. You can't look straight into the sun, but you can look at the sunlight reflecting on all kinds of things. God has put his glory all throughout creation. So one of the places where you can see the glory of God is in the heavens, in the sky. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the kavod of God. So when you look up into the sky, I remember I went, uh, used to go camping over summer with my family growing up, and some nights, some clear nights, warm nights, we'd sit outside, Uh, into the darkness and, you know, we'd be just sitting around talking and you'd be sitting there on your deck chair and every so often, you know, you'd, you'd sit back on the chair and just look up and you forget living in Auckland, what happens when you look up in rural spaces. Suddenly, you see the stars and it's all, it's breathtaking. On a clear night, when you look up and you just see this beautiful, this panorama of stars, this beautiful canopy of the galaxy spread out before you and then you start watching the shooting stars go across and what you're seeing is a reflection of the glory of God. Psalm 8 says God has set his glory in the heavens. God's put his kavod in the heavens so that when you look up, when you're outside the city, you get a sense of the hugeness of God. You get a sense of his bigness that is hard to fathom by just talking about it and analyzing the words in the Bible. But then you look up on a clear night at the stars and suddenly you catch a glimpse of the kavod of God. And at the same time, as you're getting a glimpse of how huge God is, you're getting a glimpse of how very, very small you are. And that's the point of kavod too. That it reminds us God is infinitely vast and we are incredibly tiny. And it helps us see our place relative to the glory of God. So God has put his kavod in the heavens. And we can see it all through creation. But there's another place God has put his kavod. He's not only put it in the sky, he's placed it on earth. That same psalm, Psalm 8, says that God has made humanity and he has crowned us with glory and honor. He's crowned us with kavod. God has taken his kavod, his glory, and he's invested a little bit of it in us. It gives us incredible dignity as human beings to know that we have a little spark of glory in us. We have a little spark of the divine in us, so to speak. This is what it means for us to be made in God's image. God is a glorious God, full of glory, full of kavod. His very being is full of kavod, but he's made us in his image. And part of what that means, part of what that captures is that God has made us a reflection of his glory. He's placed some glory in us. He's given us dignity. He's given us weightiness. He's given us significance. He's given us meaning in our lives. You see this. I think you see this best when you sit the story of creation in the Bible next to some of the other ancient stories of creation that were floating around some of the other ancient peoples at the time. You look at the Babylonian story, for example, the Babylonian myth about creation and how the world was created, and it's very clear, human beings, according to the Babylonians, were just made for the menial service of the gods. They were just made for drudgery. They were made for slave labor, just so the gods could live in the land of luxury, and human beings would just sort of serve them. There was no dignity accorded to human beings. There's no inherent value given to human beings. But that is fundamentally different to the Hebrew vision of life. In the Hebrew worldview... Given to them by God, human beings are from the very beginning invested with incredible dignity, made in the image of God, crowned with glory, crowned with honor. This is this is unique, this is a unique way of looking at the human person, full of dignity, full of cavode. You look at any human person, even the worst of them that you could name or think of, doesn't matter who the person is Christian, atheist, Muslim, Buddhist. Hindu, agnostic, whatever, they're crowned with kavod. Maybe uncomfortable to think about. Because you don't like thinking of some people being crowned with glory, but every human being is. Simply by virtue of being human. Every one of us. We've got kavod. We receive it from God. Our lives have significance. Our lives have meaning. Our lives have purpose. Because we're created in the image of a glorious God. So, If you imagine the Israelites sitting around their campfires at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they're asking each other, where do we see the glory of God? And so they look up to the stars. And they say, there's the glory of God. It's on display. And they must have had some great starry nights, I would imagine, traipsing through the Sinai wilderness without street lamps, just looking up at the stars. There's the kavod. There's the glory of God. And then they looked in the faces of one another and said, there's the kavod. There's the glory of God It's reflected in our faces. As human beings, we have glory. And then they'd look at the tabernacle and they'd see that pillar of fire hovering over the tabernacle and they'd remember there's the kavod. There's the glory. The glory of God has filled the tabernacle and now he resides there among us, right in the middle of the camp of Israel. But there is one place where God has set his glory that the Israelites couldn't see. But we can. In Jesus. They couldn't see that. But we now look back and we see the greatest revelation of the glory of God is not the heavens, not just one another, not the tabernacle. It's in Jesus because we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God reflected in the face of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn over for a moment to John chapter 1. And we've looked at a few verses from this chapter a few times in the series in Exodus because it provides such a great bridge from Exodus to Jesus. and just helps us with that transition. I want to revisit this one more time. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John says the Word became flesh when he talks about the Word who he's talking about. Jesus the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us the words made his dwelling it's all one word in Greek it's the word tabernacle it's the word for tabernacle it's the equivalent of the Hebrew expression for tabernacle so literally John is saying the word Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us Jesus came down and pitched his tent among us this is all exodus language it's all exodus imagery and John is saying Jesus is the new tabernacle he's the heavenly tabernacle now He's the very representation of the presence of God. He's the intersection point between heaven and earth. He brings heaven and earth together in the body of Jesus. And then John says this, we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that's a Greek word, not a Hebrew word, but it still goes back to the same origins. It's just translated. We have seen His glory. That state, it's a very simple statement, but think about what John is saying. Because in the entire Old Testament, no one saw the glory. No one could see Moses didn't see the glory of God. Isaiah didn't see the glory of God directly. Ezekiel, for all the visions of the kings and the prophets and the priests of Israel, nobody ever saw the full on glory of God. And yet here's John, here's John, this ordinary fisherman from Galilee, saying, Oh, we've seen it. Yeah, yeah, we've seen the glory, we've seen the kavod. We've seen the Kavod because we've walked alongside the Kavod around these little fishing villages of Galilee. And we've eaten fish with the Kavod, with the glory. And we've talked with him. And we've we've seen him in action. We've lived with him. We've seen glory. We've seen the face of glory. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth. To look into the face of Jesus is to look full into the face of the glory of God something nobody could do in the entire biblical story until now. And then you see it right there. And you get that sense, don't you, when you read the Gospels that Jesus did have that kind of gravitas to him. I don't think it's ever spelled out quite like that, but you do get that sense, I think, reading through the life of Jesus that when Jesus was in the room, he was, he was in the room. You know, people knew it. When he was, when he was around, there was, a, there was a weightiness there. There was a gravitas. There was a heaviness to his presence. And sometimes it agitated people. They didn't like it because they were resisting what Jesus was offering. Other times people embraced it, but there was always this weightiness to Jesus' presence. There was always this sense of glory because Jesus is the fullness, the full expression of the glory, the kavod of God, the weightiness and significance of God's own presence. But now walking around, now walking and sleeping and eating and talking around the dusty roads of Palestine. And then Jesus says something interesting about his own glory, about his own kavod. Flick over to John chapter 12. We're doing a few verses in John, and you might remember this from last year when we did our series in the book of John. And the week before he dies, just a few days before he died, Jesus said this in John 12, 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's, the same, it's, it's a derivative of the same word, same idea there, glory, glorified. Jesus is saying, the hour has come for, the, for me to reveal the greatest glory. The hour has come for me to give you the fullest view of the glory that I have. But what hour is he talking about? His death. Right? He's talking about the cross. And this is where our view of kavod gets turned on its head because it's one thing to think about the glory of God in the heavens, in the stars. It's one thing to think about the glory of God in each other or even even to see the glory of God in Jesus. We can go along with those steps, but now Jesus is going further and he's saying, no, if you want to see the fullest expression of kavod, look at the cross. And the cross is everything that we would say is not kavod. We'd say the cross is Shame. It's a, it's, a, it's a despised thing. It's a place of torture and suffering. It's degrading. It's dehumanizing. It's disgusting. It's despicable. That's what the cross is. How is that possibly an expression of the kavod of God? But Jesus says, no, 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 keep looking. Keep looking and you will see the kavod shining through. When you look and you get in your mind's eye that picture of Jesus hanging, bleeding, suffering, dying on the cross, you are seeing the purest expression of the kavod of God. Because what you are seeing there is not just the incredible power of God, but you're seeing the weightiness of God's love. You are seeing God's power combined with love. On the cross, you're not just seeing the God who put all the stars in the sky and knows every one of them by name. You're seeing that God then leave the heavens and come down to earth and wade into the brokenness of this mess and then die a a degrading death through crucifixion. And then ironically enough, that doesn't take away from his glory. It adds to it. This This is the wonder. It doesn't take away from God's glory for him to suffer. And it just adds to it. Why? Because we see not only the incredible power of God, but we see that he was willing to give that power away. We see that God's glory takes the shape of a cross. It's not just his greatness, but it's his greatness that was willing to come down and down and down and serve and sacrifice and pour himself out. It's not just his power, but it's his power used in the form of self-giving, self-lowering, self-sacrificing love. The most glorious thing about God is His incredible love for us. The the most weighty thing about God is the weight of sin that He carried on the cross. And so if you really want to see the kavod, the the purest, clearest view of it in all of the Bible is the cross. Ironically enough, it's counterintuitive, but there it is. At the cross, we see the fullness of God's glory. Power, great power, but mingled with love. Mingled with a weighty, heavy love. For us. And then Jesus says one other thing I want to touch on. Again, just before he dies, in the final night before his crucifixion, in John 17, he's praying to God and he's praying for his followers. He's praying for all those who would believe in him down through the ages, down through history, including us. And in verse 22 of John 17, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have given them the kavod that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus is saying, this kavod that I've received from the Father, I'm passing it on to them. I'm passing my kavod on to all those who belong to me. And that's us. So if we belong to Jesus, now we have this unique, distinct glory about our lives. In a sense, yes, we all have glory. We're all human beings. No matter what, Christian, non-Christian, we've all got this kavod. But when a person unites their life to Jesus... Suddenly their life takes on a unique glory because suddenly they share in the glory of Jesus. Glory is not just a thing. It's not just Jesus saying, here's a bit of cavode." What do you think of this? Jesus says, no, I'm inviting you to share in my glory. Everything I have is yours. This is the heart of the Christian life. This is the heart of what God's given us. Everything that Jesus has becomes ours. His life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His relationship with the Father becomes our relationship with the Father. His place in heaven becomes our place in heaven. His inheritance in the future becomes our inheritance in the future. And guess what? His kavod becomes our kavod. His glory becomes our glory. We get to share in the glory of Jesus in our lives because our identities are now wrapped up and consumed in Him. So we get to participate in the glory of Jesus. And that means even though we're a bunch of very ordinary looking people, some of us more ordinary than others, we're still walking around creatures of glory. It's awesome to think about, hey, we're walking around full of glory because we've got Christ in us, the hope of glory. The future hope of the glory that's still to come. But here we are just doing our thing, sitting in church on Sunday, having lunch afterwards, going about your business, and yet you are a creature of cavode. You're a creature of glory, not just human glory but Christ's own glory given to you. Full of glory we are. It's an amazing thought. So here's my question. What does it mean for us to live every day in the glory of God? What does it mean to be creatures of glory? What does it mean to live out the kavod of God just in ordinary, ordinary ways, everyday ways? A few months ago, uh, Anna was just getting the boys ready for the morning. On a weekday morning, I'd already taken off to work, and she was going through the usual morning uh, busyness, the routine, getting Josh ready for school, getting everything needed that was uh, needed to get him off to school, getting the other boys through breakfast, getting them changed, emptying the dishwasher, all of that stuff, the normal morning stuff. And in the midst of that, Josh wandered into the kitchen. Josh, our oldest, wandered into the kitchen. uh, I think he was five at the time, was he? And he just started chatting with Anna about some stuff that was going on at school. We were talking about it yesterday, couldn't even quite remember what the thing was, but he was just talking to Anna about something at school, something that wasn't quite going right or was bugging him or irritating him. And just in the midst of that conversation, he said words to the effect, Mum, can you pray for me about this? Can we pray for this thing? And he's not really given to that kind of thing. Uh, we, we try to have prayer times as a family, and it usually descends into chaos. It's, it's very hard. He's, he's not, it's not naturally a really you know, prayerful child, shall we say. But then on that morning, there he was, just you know, seemingly randomly asking Anna to pray with him. And so um, there in the kitchen, they were, just in the midst of the morning routine and the busyness of all that involves, just stopping and having a little prayer time. And you, you get that sense that there's a moment of Glory there's a little moment of kavod. Uh, not, Not something you can see coming and not something you can always plan for, but there's a moment to grasp hold of sometimes when it passes you by and just step into the glory of that moment. A moment that's a little bit weightier than a lot of the other stuff that goes on in our lives. We're about a month out from Christmas and so for many of you, you are about to head into the busiest month of the year. And it's going to be absolutely crazy. A lot of you have got a mountain of work to try and plow through between now and Christmas, and it's just a huge task ahead. Uh, For a lot of you, your diaries are completely full for the next month. Weekends are done. Nights are gone. You've got no more space. It's completely, completely over everything's booked up you're trying to organize christmas day you just got it is just survival for the next month but here's the irony for us as christians in the west we're entering into a season now over the next 4 weeks where we are supposed to be focusing on the glory of the incarnation the season called advent where we are supposed to be turning our minds and hearts toward exactly what john described in john 1 where he says the word became flesh and we've seen His glory. This is supposed to be a time of glory leading up to Christmas Day itself. And yet how quickly we trade off the glory for the busyness and the superficiality of what this year often represents for us. And I know you can't do a lot about a lot of the busy stuff in your life, and this is just what it means to live the lives that we live. But can we do something over the next four weeks to try and focus our hearts on the kavod, of what this season is supposed to be about, the kavod of Jesus, the kavod of God, the kavod of the Incarnation. One of the things we're going to try in our family, and I've got no idea whether this will work, but we're going to have some Advent candles that we're going to have uh, each dinner time in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And so the traditional idea with this is that you have four candles around the outside and one big fat candle in the middle. And each week leading up to Christmas, you light another candle. So you start with one Next week, you've got two candles burning and so on. We'll just have it going during dinner time. And I hope that maybe in some small way, this is just an opportunity to focus us a little bit as a family on Christ, on his birth, on, on all of that means for our lives. And maybe an opportunity to leverage a little bit of conversation and, and try and point the conversation back towards God and back towards Jesus around that mealtime. I don't know if it's going to work, but I got about halfway into December last year And I just felt like I'm not really focusing as much as I want to be focusing on what I should be focusing on at this time of year. And that's why on the 22nd of November, I'm talking about these things, because it feels early, right, to be talking about Christmas. And yet I think unless we're preparing for it, it's just we're going to be overtaken. We're going to be swamped. In a couple of weeks time, it's too late. Life's just totally on top of you. We have to be thinking about these things now, and so I would encourage you, is there one step you can take to reclaim something of the kavod leading up to Christmas? Is there something you can build into the rhythm of your life? Individually, might be a pattern of prayer, Bible study, maybe, maybe some readings around the birth of Jesus. Uh, as, as a flat, a flatting situation, is there something you can do together? Focus your hearts, focus your minds a little bit. Is there a way of serving Great way. Express the kavod. Share the love. Share the kavod, the glory of God. Is there a way of serving, intentionally serving some people on your street, taking some baking to your neighbors, blessing some people around you? I think typically unless we plan, unless we're somehow intentional, the glory just passes us by and we're back to superficiality and we're back to consumption and we're just back to crazy, manic busyness. Can you take just, don't try and do too many things or else you're just adding to the clutter, but can you do one? Can you take one step? Can you prayerfully consider one thing that you could do, your family could do, that would reclaim something of the kavod, the glory of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in the run-up to the Advent season this year? So may we be creatures full of kavod, and we are. May we see the glory of God in the heavens and in the stars and lift our eyes up to see. And I mean that not just literally lifting our eyes up to the stars, but metaphorically, just sometimes lifting our eyes up, sometimes lifting our focus up from the mundane, from the trivial, from the everyday, just lifting your eyes up to see the glory. Be captured again by the wonder of what God has done, what he is doing and what he's yet to do. May we be able to see the kavod in one another and recognize that and name that and celebrate that. May we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and celebrate that. May we see the kavod, learn to see it, even at the cross, even though that's disturbing, but to get that view, the clearest view that there is of the glory of God. And may we extend kavod to each other, live out lives of glory, share it with one another, express it in our lives, and live fully and deeply in the glory of God every single day to his glory and for the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we do stand on the edge of something of a precipice just heading into a really busy time of year. And I want to just pray, Lord, that you in simple ways would remind us of your glory, especially in these weeks to come. God, don't let us get so bogged down in just the stuff of life that we forget the weighty moments. We pray, God, that there wouldn't be a moment of kavod that passes us by, but that we would step into those moments and create those moments. And we pray, God, that you would remind us constantly of your glory and all the ways, all the traces in which you've set your glory throughout creation and throughout our lives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look up, to take our eyes off just the everyday stuff, the shallow stuff, the empty stuff, and to look up and see that you are a vast and a huge God, that you are a God, God who breathed the stars into the sky, and you know every one of them by name. Give us that renewed sense of your glory and the glory that you've given us. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.